This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Happy Valentine's Day. Well, the headline says it all, ladies and gentlemen. U.S. Navy's UFO patents can allegedly engineer the fabric of reality. Let me repeat that. U.S. Navy's UFO patents can allegedly engineer the fabric of reality. A U.S. Navy file dubbed the UFO patents has revealed how military scientists spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on experiments involving nuclear fusion and electromagnetic fields as part of research into devastating future weapons. The documents claim a space-time modification weapon, a space-time modification weapon could make the hydrogen bomb seem like a firecracker. What in the world? UFO patents? Engineering the fabric of reality, a space-time modification weapon? Is this really happening? Is this all true? Physicist Paul LaViolette is standing by to discuss, and he'll be with us for the first hour. Coming up in hour two, if you're not familiar with the strange case of Philip Schneider and his story involving secret underground military bases and how the Greys as in gray aliens are involved, you'll want to uh, to hang around for hour two. Documentary filmmaker Darcy Weir will be here to discuss Schneider and his mysterious death, some say murder, and his involvement in the construction of an underground base and his battle, alleged battle, in that base with gray aliens. Carlos Kajina is the technical producer. Ryan White is the live stream producer. And yes, we are live streaming on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. And for those of you on Rumble, as in rumble.com, we are uploading this program to Rumble. 
It usually takes a couple of days. Rumble.com. Rumble.com. And the channel is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Be, be sure when you're on Rumble.com to search under channel, not videos. Otherwise, it's kind of tricky to find. And, of course, you can say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett and on Gab at Richard Serrett. So I just can't believe what I'm reading here. But here is the story. Hold on to your hats. A U.S. Navy file dubbed the UFO patents has revealed how military scientists spends or spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on experiments involving nuclear fusion and electromagnetic fields as part of research into devastating future weapons. The documents claim a space-time modification weapon could make the hydrogen bomb seem like a firecracker. The Naval Air Warfare Center Aircraft Division, NAWCAD, conducted the experiments exploring the work of Dr. Salvatore Cesar Paez, an aerospace engineer who works for the U.S. Navy. The head of the Navy's aerospace research enterprise said Chinese entities were working on similar technology advancements. Documents released through the Freedom of Information Act contain hundreds of pages about the Naval and Innovative Science and Engineering Basic and Applied Research Program and the tests, photographs, and other related material associated with it. The program was referred to as the High Energy Electromagnetic Field Generator. Dr. Paez's inventions are enabled through the Paez effect, a theoretical physics concept that is based on the controlled motion of electrically charged matter from solid to plasma via accelerated spin and or accelerated vibration under rapid yet smooth acceleration, deceleration, acceleration transients. Okay, it's already way above my pay, gra- pay, my pay grade, so I need some help to make sense of all this. And uh, for that, we have employed uh, Paul LaViolette, Ph.D. He's an interdisciplinary scientist. He's authored several books and has published numerous articles in professional scientific journals. He received his B.A. in physics from Johns Hopkins University, his M.B.A. from the University of Chicago, and his Ph.D. in system science astronomy from Portland State University. Currently, he's president of the Starburst Foundation an interdisciplinary scientific research institute, Dr. Laviolette's findings open a new doorway to the interpretation of our ancient past. Uh, Aided by his background in general system theory and physics, he was able to successfully decipher the lost science said to be encoded in the lore of the tarot and astrology. Uh, Dr. Laviolette is the author of Decoding the Message of the Pulsars, Subquantum Kinetics, now I believe in the fourth edition, Secrets of Anti-Gravity Propulsion, and Genesis of the Cosmos. Paul LaViolette, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Oh, pretty good, Richard. I say, I don't, I practically, I don't know where to begin with this story. First of all, just give me your, when you, when you, when you heard about this, your overall impression, emotionally speaking, I suppose. Were you shocked, amazed? No. I sort of knew about this stuff. Uh, the basic ideas I described in my book, uh, which came out 2008, so how long ago is that? 13 years ago? Yes. And uh, I also had interviewed uh, the fellow that had uh, worked with the Black Projects and disclosed about the B-2 bomber 
uh, and based on his disclosures, I was able to reverse engineer its propulsion system and published a paper on that, uh, showing that it was basically Townsend Brown's, uh, uh, an implication, uh, implementation of Townsend Brown's uh, patents. Um, and in our conversation we had, I managed to get hold of him, uh, the editor of the journal that he had published in, put me in touch with him, and uh, we had a, a very long, interesting conversation. And he was saying that uh, all the the anti-gravity work they were doing back then, based on uh, work of Brown, but also on the work of Tesla, Nikola Tesla. And uh, uh, by the way, this what they call Pius effect, he shouldn't take credit for it. That's what Tesla was doing. Uh, you see, they, the Navy tells uh, part of the truth, but they don't tell all the truth. So they want to create a little confusion so the average person can't really build these things, <laughs> even though they make right. a patent on it. And the patents, uh, I can understand how it works because I come from a different perspective from standard physics view. Uh, right, right. I, so I was told, you know, back then uh, from by this fellow, he says they don't use standard physics in uh, the work they're doing on field propulsion and anti-gravity. Uh, they considered Einstein's theory of space-time, warping of space-time, as classical ideas that don't work. In fact, a guy whose father worked in uh, uh, classified projects back in the 50s, back then he heard, his son heard from his father that Einstein's theories weren't considered workable, even back then. So uh, you can't use standard physics to understand these, and it, it sounds unbelievable. This... Uh, news story you read, uh, they sort of hype everything up. Uh, actually, it's not that frightening. It's a beautiful technology. It's simple. Well, potentially, potentially. Uh, some of it sounds rather menacing. Let's uh, unpack some of this. Well, before I get to that, I'm curious to know why the U.S. Navy would even disclose this i mean they received a freedom of information act request and they released hundreds of pages of documents photographs uh, a lot of this has obviously national security ramifications why would they release this well i was told uh back a couple of years ago I had a meeting with uh people at the um uh, Space uh, Force, uh, not Space Force, the uh, Air Force Space Command. And they were telling me that the government higher-ups have decided that it's time that uh, they uh, start disclosing what's happening to sort of bring uh, the, the Black Project program more out in the open. And, that, in fact, that's why Trump created the Space Force. So that all this can be funded openly instead of through hidden money, you know, you take from here and there, and nobody knows where the money goes. So uh, I was told back then uh, that there is this effort of disclosure. There were, and it 
shortly after uh, you hear about the Navy sighting of that UFO that you normally didn't hear, they wouldn't say things about UFO sightings before that. Now they're starting to share these things. And then you had these patents coming out. So just like this fellow says, sure enough, uh, these patents come out. And uh, in particular, well, one of them is dealing with a, a UFO, basically creating a UFO. It's an anti-gravity disc-shaped UFO. Uh, another is a triangular version um, that would behave much like what the Navy was shooting in their gun camera pictures. The Tic Tac uh, video, right, the Tic Tac UFO. Right. And uh, then they have another patent on a basically a repeller beam um which you could think of it like the star trek uh phaser beam uh where they can put it in repeller mode to push things instead of tractor beam it would be a repulsion beam um before well that so their work is was being done in secret until they uh, published this patent i think these these technologies are at least 30 years old because of what I was told back in 92, the, the being based on Brown's work and Tesla's work. And in fact, that's what these are based on. So back then they were working on this, you know, and just they got around now to patent, patent them and disclose them. So they're not going to tell you the, the most recent stuff, apparently. <laughs> this stuff is old hat to them. This is 30 years old, this technology, so who knows that's what they what have now. So, yeah, so let me then ask that, you. But I, that's what I right. believe based on my understanding. So is this then a de facto admission that that we or they, the, the, the United States, the U.S. Uh, uh, Navy or the Air Force, they have UFO propulsion technology, they have that now and that Perhaps most of all of the the, um, the the flying discs and so forth that people are seeing are U.S. military. Are they admitting that many, now many with this disclosure? Yes, yes. In fact, we have a space force already out there. It's just been a black project, uh, and Jerry Gary McKinnon uh, right tapped into that when he hacked the computer or the. Uh, Air Force computer and found records, I guess it was Space Command computer, uh, records of ship-to-ship transports on vessels, but they weren't Earth vessels. And uh, there were crew trans- uh, crew exchanges and so on that he found. Um, so you, you get the picture of Star Trek-sized vessels, maybe with crews of 200 or more. And then there's the book by Tompkins, who talks about he was designing these, and they were being built. He, he in lectures, disclosed how a place, I guess, in Utah, in the hills of Utah, they would build these things and um, boost them into the air. And I've lectured on this uh, a year and a half ago. In fact, uh, I guess last year I gave a lecture about how they were getting those up in the air. I mean, here they build a spacecraft in an earth hangar, underground, let's say, hangar that has doors. You open these doors, the thing might be uh, oh, half a kilometer long. And how do they get it in space? Well, they use these propulsion beams, which I describe in my book, in Secrets of Anti-Gravity Propulsion, 
and uh, I, I sort of have uh, disclosed about Project Sky Vault, which was told to me by fellow head inside information. <clears throat> and I sort of, re- based on the few bits and pieces that he gave me, I could uh, reverse engineer it. Basically uses microwave beams to boost, uh, create pressure on things, and you could mount these on anything and boost it into the air. So you can picture these uh, crafts being boosted up into space, and once they're up there, they can weld them together and produce huge ships uh, many kilometers long. So when people, for example, uh, Paul, were reporting these huge craft, let's say in Stevensville, Texas, several years ago, um, more than a decade ago, I guess, and people discussed how they or revealed how they saw these things looked like the size of a box store floating silently in the air, uh, blocking out the sky. Is that what we're talking about? What would that be, would you say? Well, I don't know. They're, they're talking about you know, craft this, the size of a box store, like a Walmart, floating up there uh, above them. Hmm. Yes, very easily. Could be that big. I mean, did you ever, I mean, I know you, you've been tracking this, you, you've known about this, but to see this kind of disclosure, this kind of admission, did you ever think that you would live to see this day? That they're saying, yes, we have this stuff. Hmm. Well, uh, like, I, I didn't know that they would until I'd heard they were going to have this disclosure, and uh, slowly you see they're talking about it. So this is very good. Uh, yeah. Uh, the uh, the space-time modification weapon. Now, that's it says wh- it could... where I would uh, contest. There, they, you, you can't understand these with space-time. Like I said, Einstein's theories, they don't use them. They're, they're non-workable. For one, for one thing, uh, you can travel faster than the speed of light. And when you, you can, I've shown that in the laboratory. Guy Obolansky and myself, we worked in his laboratory... We had waves going uh, six times the speed of light across his, starting out at that speed, going across his laboratory. Uh, we didn't publish in Nature or anything, but if we did, it would have been world news. I'm just telling you, it's in my book, what we did, and anyone can duplicate that experiment, any physicist who's interested. Um, and that uh, pretty much demolishes Einstein's theory right there. And what you're dealing with, you have to go substitute it with something. So it's you have to deal with the ether. And that's uh, what I base all what I've done is an ether theory that I've developed uh, back in the 70s. I've been working on it for 40 years now, over 40 years. Yeah. And, uh, so superluminal speed. Um, but what do they mean by a, a modification weapon? Uh, well, okay, if you want to say a, a UFO is a weapon, uh, I suppose you could look at it that way. Um, they are engineering, um, it's electrogravitics, basically. You understand what electrogravitics is, don't you? Right, right. Brown's work. Townsend Brown, <clears throat> right. <clears throat> it's, um... Based on very simple principles, uh, Einstein's theory is based on the idea that all matter attracts, whether it's uh, positively charged or negatively charged, and that's incorrect. Uh, 
protons are gravitationally attractive. Electrons are gravitationally repulsive, and that's a, a new idea that a lot of people haven't grasped yet. And that's what Townsend Brown's work showed, where he'd charge up a capacitor to high voltage, and it would move towards the positive electrode as if it was being pulled by the positive charges and repelled by the negative. So once you realize that electrons are very special, that they are gravitationally repulsive, um, that's the heart of it, is how you deal with the electrons. And the goal is to build up as high a electrical negative charge on your craft as possible. And the more electrical charge you build up that's negative, the more weight it loses. And it can actually make the craft invisible because light will bend right around it. It's like lens-shaped. Right. And they, they pretty much tell you stunning. the, the, the uh, ABCs of how to do it if you know the science behind it. They don't explain it in ether terms. They don't use the word ether. Um, they use language that physicists might use to get the patent published, I guess. Um, but it's a very uh, confusing to it would be very confusing to a physicist to read it. <clears throat> Excuse me, <clears throat> which is why a lot of people probably don't believe that it's for real. They say, "Come on, you're pulling our leg, and you're just doing this to uh, justify all the hundreds of thousands of dollars you spent." But that's that's baloney. They didn't spend just hundreds of thousands. They put millions of it. This is a thirty-year-old program that they put. Right. Place. I was gonna. I was gonna say that seems like a mere pittance, a few hundred thousand uh, dollars. Oh, listen, we're gonna take a quick time out, Paul, and we'll come back and pick up on this. I want to talk about this statement here uh, that these revolutionary changes in power and propulsion. We're talking about possibility of quantum communications, energy production, weaponry, and uh, most stunning of all, the idea that they could. Uh, engineer the very fabric of reality. We'll pick up on that. Dr. Paul LaViolette, my guest right here on The Conspiracy Show, back with more after this timeout. Stay with us. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Paul LaViolette, my guest, the author of Decoding the Message of the Pulsars, Subquantum Kinetics, Secrets of Anti-Gravity Propulsion, Genesis of the Cosmos, and others. Uh, let me get back to the, um, I'm just kind of like right from the headline, the idea that this technology could engineer the fabric of reality. Let's yeah. just chew on that for a minute. What does yeah. that mean exactly? Well, you have to, there's a specific section in the patent. If you go to the patent, uh, this is, I'm talking about the one of December, was issued December 2018. Uh, it has a triangular spacecraft. You're familiar with that one? Yes, I'm looking at that. Yes. And they're saying here, um, 
they they they're talking about charging the outer they have a double shell and they charge the outer shell different from the inner shell they don't tell you the polarity but i'll tell you the polarity it's negative it has to be negative on the outside if it's going to work because the negative is the gravitational repulsive pole and they're uh, pulsing it with tesla waves not uh not paeus waves <laughs> He <laughs> likes to take credit for Tesla's work. Um, these are waves that are, um, they're DC pulses, so to speak. They're always, um, they're discharges, always the same polarity, but they create waves. They're like shocks that go out. Very sharp rise time and gradual fall off time. So triangular, think of a triangular time form to it. Uh, Think of it, explosive discharges of electrical uh, energy. Some people call them Coulomb waves. There, uh, other people call them scalar waves right. uh, or longitudinal waves. There's no magnetic component to them, uh, and uh, they travel faster than the speed of light, actually. And they're generating these uh, from the inside layer of the craft to the outside and pulsing with these. And what this does, it polarizes, as, he, as they say here in the patent, they're polarizing the uh, vacuum outside the outer resonant cavity wall. So there is no vacuum. It's an ether. We're... And, and you're familiar with the ether? Yes, yes. Uh, You've I talked about that on the show before. Knows I'm not talking about what they used to put you to sleep. In <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so um, the ether can be uh, polarized, in other words, charged to potentials much har uh, larger than you could put on the surface of the craft. So let's say you can get the craft up to, I don't know, 10 million volts with these waves, okay? Because you keep uh, hammering with these waves, they keep sort of emitting from the surface of the craft. They end up jacking up the potential in the ether around the craft to much higher voltages. You can go up to a billion volts around the craft. So think of that, negative, a negative potential. And that's gravitationally repulsive. Why? Because negative charge is equivalent to gra a gravity hill or a repulsive. Uh, it's like a negative mass effect. It pushes rather than pulls. So we didn't need to back engineer UFO technology. We. Are you saying that we've had this? I mean, Tesla thought of this. We've had this all along. We didn't. We didn't need to uh, to recover uh, some UFO propulsion system at Roswell or yeah. elsewhere and back engineer it. We have it. We had it. Yeah, I never heard of anyone saying that Townsend Brown or Nikola Tesla were given parts of UFO craft. Uh, they discovered this stuff on their own, which is nice. So we can take ownership. We developed it through American ingenuity. Of course, Tesla was from Serbia, so and Serbian ingenuity. 
Right, right. But uh, I'm so, sure that they were getting guidance from the stuff that they got, uh, they picked up. It probably opened their eyes that uh, Brown and Tesla were going in the right direction. And there may be other aspects to that technology that they came up with that um, uh, they're not talking about. Um, they're talking about the stuff that the Brown and Tesla worked on. Uh, Tesla was, uh, you re- if you read his papers, he talks about setting up his towers, putting out these DC pulses, because so, he, he was also working with AC, and that's what he's more popularly known about. But it's the DC work that's more fascinating. Uh, he could actually feel pressures on his hand from these DC pulses. They were producing a, sort of a gravitational repulsive effect. And he would report how in the outdoor experiments, uh, a luminous aura would start filling the whole area around his transmitter, and it would envelop the trees, and they'd start putting out this aura back um, as if he was charging up the whole area to higher high potentials that he could never achieve just with his dome. Uh, it's because his dome was hammering that potential out there. It was uh, creating an effect. And uh, they used this also in the Philadelphia experiment. Um, it does create invisibility. And that's something is predicted by the theory I've developed, subquantum kinetics. Um, in subquantum kinetics, it's possible to have matter dematerialize and rematerialize. So that's something physics can't do. And uh, it's very easily understood when you go to the subquantum kinetics uh, framework uh, for people not able to handle the equation part. Uh, well, subquantum kinetics book is fairly readable, although it does have equations, but I have written an Another one called Genesis of the Cosmos that puts it more for layman's terms. Uh, plus, I have a lot of uh, papers available for free download on it to sort of explain it in general terms. <clears throat> Those are on my website, etheric.com. And, uh, now, yeah. According to this, or this uh, article, they are referring to these, well, they call it the Peyer's effect, and you're saying, no, it's the Tesla effect, but they are referring to it as a theoretical physics concept. If I'm hearing you correctly, this is way past theoretical. This is practical. It's being used oh, and has been physics. for decades. It's ether well, physics. It's not okay. standard physics. Ether physics. <laughs> no, but the idea, that it's the, the idea that it's theoretical is what I'm yeah. saying. They're calling oh. it theoretical. You're saying it's practical. It's here. It's now. Yeah, it's based on experiment. All right. In fact, the experiment also... tended to lead uh, theory. In fact, uh, Brown didn't have really a theory for what he was doing. He was sort of tossing around with an ether theory of his own. Uh, and Tes- Tesla accepted the ether idea. And he was very uh, right in a lot of his uh, statements about uh, what the ether does. Uh, in fact, uh, the the uh, ether that he was talking about resembles very much the subquantum kinetics ether. It's more of a 
active ether. It's a, it's a high, higher dimensional concept. Uh, the idea our universe is sustained by a flux that enters from another dimension and leaves to another dimension. You know, we are like an open system, which means free energy is possible. Because in open systems, energy can increase or decrease. It depends. So you can have free energy. Our whole galaxy is in an area where energy spontaneously increases. In fact, uh, the vast multitude of stars in our galaxy are entirely powered by energy that comes into being spontaneously. That sounds crazy to most people, but I've proven it. I've published a scientific paper on this. I do want to pick up on that on the other side. Uh, we're just heading into a break here shortly. Very quickly, uh, before we do that, though, the article talks about the Chinese also having this technology. Is Does that concern you? Well, you know, it's sort of a space race going on. Uh, they're probably trying to catch up. Uh, but I think, you know, we were we got an early start. We, we, we were shocked into reality back in 42 with the L.A. war in L.A. And uh, so we... <clears throat> We we're one of the first pioneers, and so the Russians. So, you know, there's going to be in the future the three main forces will be the Russians, the U.S., uh, Chinese, uh, and of course, probably Israel has space program, and France probably has version. Uh, uh, they don't have the, the the money base probably that you know the U.S. has, but. Oh. All right, we'll uh, we'll uh, head into a break here, Paul. Stay with us. Come back on the other side. I do want to talk about free energy, other potential uses uh, for this remarkable disclosure on the part of the U.S. Navy. They're calling it UFO patents. Back with more of the conspiracy show. Stay with us. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Just a reminder, coming up at the top of the hour, documentary filmmaker Darcy Weir will talk about, uh, well, the, the contents of his uh, film Underground, uh, the director's cut. And uh, the mysterious uh, death, some say murder, of Phil Schneider, very popular on the UFO lecture circuit back in the 90s until his mysterious death. He was making some pretty remarkable claims about having worked on these underground bases like Dulce, New Mexico, uh, even um, alluded to the fact that he was involved in a, uh, a battle in one of these bases with uh, gray aliens. And then... He died under, as I say, mysterious circumstances. Darcy Weir coming up right now. Uh, Dr. Paula Violette stays with us. We're talking about the high-energy electromagnetic field generator. And although Dr. Salvatore Cesar Paez is taking credit, this is, uh, this is work that was being done by Nikola Tesla and Townsend Brown back in, in what, the 1930s, like 90 years ago. Um, okay, well... Uh, it, yeah, the, I was talking about the craft, the spacecraft, the oval one and the right. triangular shaped one. 
Now, this one that you point out, this electromagnetic field generator, it also uses Tesla's uh, concepts because he's pulsing the outer shell, but he's also rotating it. You notice he's got a motor in there, and he's rotating the yes. hemisphere. Now, does that sound puzzling, why he's doing that? Why it's important uh, to do that? What, well, what is the importance? That's because he's creating a uh, repeller beam. This, uh, this thing develops a repulsion beam. And is that what he you, calls a fusion twist? Is that what's referred to as a fusion twist? Yeah, he's talking about a vor plasma vortex he's generating. Well, okay, you've got this thing charged to a very high voltage on its outside, right? So it's got right. all sorts of, it's ionizing the air, there's all sorts of electrons flying around from it because it's negatively charged. What happens when you rotate a negative charge? You're producing a magnetic field. So you generate in a magnetic field, and the magnetic field is now got an axis to it, which means these waves that are being put out are going to be collimated in the direction of the axis of the magnetic field. They're not going to go out in all directions like they normally would. So that whole purpose, the whole purpose of that is to collimate it to a certain direction. Uh, the other thing is by spinning that, anything that goes off to the sides gets canceled out because you're spinning. And the, the only thing that, the only component that's left is the one that goes along the spin axis because that's not canceled out. So it's a wave generator, it's a gravity wave generator, to be specific. And by collimating it, it means you can keep that collimated way out into space and actually push asteroids out of the way, like he's talking about. That's the application he talks about here, but it can push anything out of the way. A spacecraft could be used as a weapon. Ah, yes. I was going to ask you about that. Well, we you know, you things. got a missile coming towards you, and you push it out of its orbit. You push it into the ocean or wherever you want to push it out into space if you want. Um, it uh, you could knock over boats, probably. Uh, could you bring down? Uh, uh, could you bring down a hundred and ten story building? Yep. You're familiar with the work uh, of Dr. Uh, Judy Wood? It's by the way, so there's mm -hmm. no way to anticipate it coming. The pulses would be traveling faster than the speed of light. So, I mean, hopefully it's being handled by, uh, by reputable, by reputable uh, military forces that aren't going to be pushing over our own buildings or, you know... Unless, uh, well, you, no you are no doubt familiar with the work of Dr. Judy Wood, who talks about the World Trade Center towers being uh, essentially dustified, disappeared. That was a different uh, weapon. That that was a microwave beam weapon, similar to what I talked about in Project Skyball. Uh, in fact, I talk about it there that one fellow sort of leaked out at a conference about our Mylar microwave platform that we've got orbiting made out of mylar plastic so it wouldn't be radar detectable. And microwave means, well, I reversed engineered that, that it must mean it got one of these microwave beam systems, the same that they use for boosting spacecraft into space, and they can 
uh, beam the, this energy down from space, target it like a building, and what does that do to concrete? If you put concrete it in dust. a microwave oven, it's going to, all the water in the concrete is going to explode. It, you're going to turn the concrete into dust as it heats up. And the thing about this beam, it sort of uses the same principle of pulse, 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 and it keeps putting more and more energy into the beam, and it can't escape. And you get enormous energies that are far exceeding the energy generator you've got in space. So it's all bottled up energy in that beam. <clears throat> and everything they saw matches that, the idea of the uh, interference pattern, the ring-like interference pattern around the... World Trade Center and the cars having the paint scorched off. A Category 2 hurricane heading heading for New York City that suddenly veered off course? Is that a signature? You could probably do a weather control if you fanned it out enough. Uh, I don't think a collimated beam would affect a hurricane, but if you fanned out your beam, but then I don't know. I, I, I'd just be speculating about that. All right. This was a short segment, Paul. We're going to head into a break. We'll come back. I do want to touch on free energy, some of the potential uses, and uh, we'll take some questions from our live chat. That's uh, all coming up with Paul LaViolette right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, I want to whip through some of these uh, terrific uh, questions from our YouTube live chat. Solar Warden asks Paul, um, rumors of ground crew being electrocuted by the B-2, the B-2 bomber. And are you aware of what the Aurora spy plane really was or is? Uh, well, I've heard about the uh, people getting electrocuted or sh big shocks because they didn't realize it got too close to it. Uh, after all, the B-2, <clears throat> it's using Townsend Brown's principle. It's, uh, flame jet generators are charging up the actual body of the B-2. It's probably got a huge negative charge because that helps it lose weight to have a negative charge on its surface. So it could have uh, hundreds of millions of volts charge because once it gets up there, it's dumping positive ions. And that means um, it's not grounded. In other words, there's no wire to ground. And if right. you're dumping positive charge, I mean, the sky is the limit as to what negative charge you have on your craft. So, All right. Uh, the Aurora spy plane. What was that all about? Uh, okay, that's not an area I've studied much about. Okay. Uh, Sigma-6 asks about the Mickelson-Morley experiment in the U.S. Navy. What is the Mickelson-Morley experiment? Well, uh, that's where they uh, tried to look for an ether drift back in the early part of the 20th century, and they, they didn't find... Uh, it looked like the... There was no friend shift, and they concluded that uh, Einstein's theory was right. And when people repeated it, they did, uh, repeated it so they were, weren't so close to the ground, a little higher up in the air, and they found there was a, a 
shift of fringes, so Einstein's theory was wrong in that case. Um, but I don't know if there was any connection with, what, what did you say, Navy? Or? Uh, yes, the U.S. Navy. Uh, Not Gordian asks, uh, if any of the experiments that we're, we've been talking about, and you mentioned, you know, invisibility and so forth, whether they may be responsible for the phenomenon. I don't know if you're familiar with David Polites, uh, regular on Coast to Coast. He's written the Missing 411 series of books uh, uh, where he's found all of these clusters in national parks and places where people just vanish in uh, many mm. cases without a trace and whether these experiments may be uh, involved. Uh, yeah, I've heard about that, where people are vanishing, and I think that the, the going theory is that these are people that are abducted uh, for who knows what, for the reptilians to have dinner or part of some uh, German slave crew, a Nazi German uh, slave crew on Mars. Uh, a lot of possibilities. Who knows? Uh, Show Me the Truth 74 says, I live near a major airport in a Boeing location, and I hear unusually loud sounds that I guess are from an airplane. Are our airports testing these crafts? He said he heard some sonic booms back in the 60s. Yeah, you know, uh, we don't hear many sonic booms anymore. So why no, is that? From the jets, you know, probably because all the jets have... They're mostly military. They probably have uh, boom suppressors on their leading edge of the wing, which operate just like the B-2 bomber. Uh, that, that suppresses the boom. All right. Um, I want to get into a little bit. We just have a bit of a little time here, a few minutes. The uh, the potential for commercial use of what we've been talking about, mm. uh, the design of thermonuclear fusion reactors. So, in other words, safe, reliable, limitless energy for commercial electricity generation. Your thoughts? Uh, well, if I was going f- like fusion, okay, uh, possible. But why go to fusion? I mean, uh, look at what uh, Walt Jenkins has done. He's burning uh, water in place of gasoline in internal combustion engines. And he's uh, working with a major aerospace company to test it on a jet engine. So instead of the jet burning uh, airline fuel, jet fuel, it's going to be burning water. And they can pull that water right out of the air with uh, condensers, so they got limitless fuel supply. Uh, then look at uh, another fellow. I won't name his name because uh, he doesn't want publicity at this point. He reverse engineers well, uh, Schauberger, Victor Schauberger's turbine, which runs on air. Once you get it going, it's self-sustaining, and it's another free energy machine. Uh, you can connect that to a generator and generate enormous amounts of electrical power. Um, he, he's hoping to market this as a generator for your house, generate all the power you need, uh, but it's also applicable to, uh, to airframes, generate and make uh, electrical air, air vehicles. Um, so you could power, uh, ideally, UFO. Of course, the Germans were using Schauberger's idea to power their UFOs. Uh, but you could go fusion if you wanted to. I, I wouldn't, you know, fo- you know, focus on that. Um, 
I met one guy. He he wanted me to work with him on his uh, project uh, out in the desert. Uh, he uh, claimed to have made a breakthrough on fusion and was making a fusion garbage disposal. If you put anything in it, it, de- it turns it into atoms. Uh, like you could take care of any waste, you know. Um, and he wanted to develop a rocket engine based on fusion. And he was able to create fusion, according to what he was saying. A magnet, special kind of magnetic bottle. Uh, Pius looked like he was trying to do it with, uh, sort of poles all aimed toward the center. Uh, that's sort of the way, uh, I think the, f- you'd want to you'd do that to make things disappear <laughs> and produce energy. Um, of course, if, if, if you were doing with, uh, shock fronts. But I don't know exactly what he's got in mind there. But but you you are excited about it sounds like and positive about uh, these developments. In other words, do you think that these what are now military applications are going to find their way into commercial use, and this is going to usher in an an era of free energy in the not too distant future? Yeah. Well, I know. In the next few years, uh, uh, Walt Jenkins' device will be uh, probably be on the market, and uh, hopefully, uh, this other fellow's device uh, uh, will the, the turbine idea will be available. Um, it's not going to uh, immediately replace all we've got because. Every new technology starts small and grows, but it will uh, be a major alternative to electric vehicles. Uh, you could uh, have a hybrid system in your electric car. It's running on water, for example. Right. Uh, but I think our major problem is this uh, virus thing and people being threatened uh, by the government that it's so serious and they withhold the, uh, the drugs that are going to cure it. And I don't know. It sounds from your ads that you're pro-virus. <laughs> I don't know if you, if you want me to talk against the COVID situation. Well, but, uh, we're, that's we're so just much about out of time. I mean. In my mind, huh? Well, yeah, I mean, I've, I have done programs on that, and, uh, you know, they, they are, uh, they, <laughs> the forces that be, are not happy about any kind of dissent or, uh, yeah, well, you know, but we've it, had those discussions. It sort discussions. of paralyzes the creative people, you know, I can feel it. Uh, sure. This whole suppression, this whole fascist regime that's, uh, we feel it here in the U.S., I imagine it's even worse in uh, Canada where you are. Depends what state you're in here. Right, right. Well, I'm in the, New York, yes, the, uh, which is very. You know, fortunately, we're not in lockdown like some people are. I just had I have about a minute here, and I, I wanted to ask you about, and I w- I'd love to have you on. I know it's a late hour for you, uh, but that is, you, you know, we were talking about Gary McKinnon and these, mm. this, uh, the Space Force, and so forth. Do you mm. do you think now that the, with the release of these documents re- pertaining to UFO patents? That that in the it is just imminent that they will have to admit that they have, for example, deep space platforms. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. 
Uh, that that's coming. Their admission on that. Yeah. In fact, uh, what's his name? Head of uh, Skunk Works, sort of said, you know, we can take take ET home. Ben Rich. You're wondering yes. about our capabilities in space. <laughs> right. Yes. And then there's um, a the whole thing about stargates. Do they really exist? It's something that. Uh, if you try to, to build one with physics, uh, you're, you're barking up a tree. You know, uh, I, I, I have some ideas based on my theory how you could do it. It's more like on uh, quantum entanglement. It involves quantum entanglement, you know, where two things in different parts of space are entangled. And we will have to leave that for another time, Paul. We're, we're out of time. Uh, the website is etheric.com, etheric dot com and uh they can find most of your books i'm guessing on amazon or certainly on the website correct oh i saw, yeah we sell them on the website subquantum kinetics is only sold, sold on our website it's a, an ebook form terrific paul thank you so much for spending some time i hope we can do this again okay thank you richard thank you dr paul laviolette all right when we come back darcy weir underground secret underground military bases right here on the conspiracy show Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate in your cabin in the woods. And a special hello to everyone tuning in on our flagship station, AM 740, 96.7 FM, Zoomer Radio in Toronto. Hi, Ed, each of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And hey there to those streaming us live on the Zoomer Radio app or at zoomerradio.ca or on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. And last but not least, Hi and howdy to those of you who join me every week in the YouTube live chat and uh, ask such terrific questions. And um, that is always available to you in the uh, the live stream uh, chat. If you'd like to uh, ask a question, just um, enter it into the uh, the comment of the chat box there. And Ryan White, my live stream producer, will funnel it over to me. So however and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. Documentary filmmaker Darcy Weir is here to discuss the uh, one of his earlier films, Underground, and he has re-released it. It's uh, Underground, the director's cut. And the film tells the remarkable story of one of ufology's most mysterious figures, the late Philip Schneider who was very popular on the UFO lecture circuit back in the 90s. If you went to some of these UFO conferences in the 90s, very likely you were uh, entertained uh, by Phil Schneider and his, um, his slideshows and so forth. Phil claimed that he was very much involved in the construction of secret underground U.S. military bases, specifically one long rumored to be located beneath Dulce, New Mexico. And and that's not even half of it. The story gets stranger and stranger. Phil's story. So uh, we'll also talk about another one of Darcy's films, which came out last month involving UFOs and volcanoes. 
Uh, Darcy is an independent filmmaker, and uh, he's from Canada, a fellow Canuck, trained as a video editor, writer, director, producer in university and technical college. He's chosen to work on some of the more fascinating subjects that are discussed today and on this program, certainly. Recently, he completed a new documentary based on the theory that relic hominids like Sasquatch live in deep wilderness all around the world. And perhaps you caught that episode on my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited. He published a remastered version, uh, as I say, of this earlier film about Phil Schneider, underground bases and secret space programs. He's currently working on, well, actually he completed the documentary about UFO volcano mysteries and yet another film. He's a very busy man. Another film on uh, crop circles called Crop Circle Realities. That one will be out in March. Uh, Darcy Weir, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm good. Richard, how you doing, man? I'm very well. I think this is the, the first time on the radio show, but I've had you on the podcast a couple of times. Yeah, uh, happy to be here. Yeah, we're delighted to have you. Good so, to chat with you again. You know, I, um, I'm f- somewhat familiar with Phil Schneider. I... I, I remember interviewing a woman, uh, Alexandria Bruce, back in the early 2000s, maybe 2005, about uh, Phil Schneider and the Philadelphia experiment and his connection to that and the Montauk chair, I think. That was a long time ago. And I haven't really thought about Phil Schneider uh, much since then. And then along comes your film, Underground, the director's cut. For those... Uh, not familiar with Philip Schneider. Tell us a little bit about him and what he was up to. So Phil really kind of hit the scene, uh, became, you know, a viral speaker back in the 90s because he spoke at a Bigfoot conference, believe it or not, about not Bigfoot, but um, a firefight that he had in an underground base construction program that the military industrial complex had employed him for. Um, The story that he told was that while they were building this base, they broke into a chamber that was being inhabited by an alien race that had been living there for quite some time. Apparently they weren't happy that, you know, this, uh, guy named Phil comes crashing through their roof, so they opened fire, and he was saved and brought back to the surface, and he lived to tell the story. But um, I, was, I was very fascinated by that story when I originally came across him, and um, I had to look into this, obviously. Uh, This was the first documentary I ever made, and I made it with a friend named Lee Lustig, who does a lot of voiceover for me and does some writing too. Brilliant guy. But we both kind of, our nexuses, uh, our nexus was because we crossed paths. Um, He was interviewing uh, Phil's late late wife, Cynthia Dreher, and I was already interviewing her too. And so she said, look, there's another guy that wants to make this documentary, wants to tell this story. 
and we ended up talking to each other and became really good friends and, and made this film together. But um, Phil's an interesting character because what made him so popular was probably the wild story of him being shot by an alien and he was missing uh, quite a bit of his hand. Um, but later, you know, just to be honest, um, that he actually lost his fingers through an accident um, when he was a teenager. But, but he was claiming he lost the fingers in this firefight with the gray aliens. Yeah. So that's so a complete I think, fabrication. I don't think that's true. Um, but what I did like about him was that he was kind of like the character from the film Network, right? He was... Peter Finch's character. Yeah. He was tired right. and mad as hell. And he wasn't going to take it anymore. And he took to the stage at all these conferences, talked about his experiences and, um, you know, things like the New World Order and this Great Reset. And uh, He was talking about the Great Reset way back then? Kind of, in a way. Like the New World Order right. is the Great Reset, right? Okay, right. Um, but... He was just talking about things that simulate what we're what we're kind of going through right now, and um, he talked about the government spending billions and billions of dollars on clandestine black budget projects, which is true. Um, and people loved him because they. They were looking for somebody that was relatable. They were looking for somebody that, um, you know, wasn't, you know, didn't seem like uh, a narcissist or anything like that. When you look at this film, you'll see, you know, he let everybody approach him. He chatted about everything and anything with everybody, and uh, he was a really friendly guy. Um, but did he did he offer? I mean, he specifically talked about Dulce, New Mexico, did he not? The base yeah, there? Did yeah. he claim that he worked yeah. on that one? That was where he said he got into this altercation. And um, the interesting thing about that is that you know, before Phil even hit the scene, there was Paul Benowitz that had started talking about the Dulce, New Mexico base. And Paul Benowitz, as we some of us may know, he was... Uh, a, a not a pilot. Well, he was a pilot, but he owned his own uh, airstrip and his own private uh, airline, pretty much, um, with the technologies, radio radio technology that he used there. He ended up tapping into some strange signal, and that's where he said he found out that maybe there was an underground base. Um, in the Dulce, New Mexico, Mesa area, and um, that there was possible aliens living there and so on and so forth. So there was already a story about that before Phil made this claim. And, um, you know, if you go back even further than that, the Hikaria, um native indigenous people that live in this area 
uh, Gulf, New Mexico. They've been talking about, you know, basically paranormal and very strange entities around there for years. Um, and, and many different people have traveled out to that area. Norio Hayakawa, who's a, I guess a journalist that was from Japan, took interest in this, brought a whole film crew over, and they interviewed the town folk and, and the Hikaria indigenous people said, yeah, there's an underground base here. We know about it. And, you know, there's apparently entrance ways, uh, secret entrance ways in, in and around the Mesa Ridge. And uh, there's noises that come out of there and UFO sightings, copious UFO sightings that have come from that Mesa area. Um, so black helicopters, you know, cattle mutilations happened around here, all kinds of stuff like that. So, um, right, sounds like a Skinner's a Ranch, strange. Skinner's Ranch type of yeah. situation. Did Did Schneider yeah. offer any evidence during his numerous presentations? Uh, any evidence, documentation, and so forth that he, in fact, did participate in the construction of this underground base? So the evidence that he had that I found compelling, that, that we show some of it in the documentary, are photos from the Bikini Atoll um, detonation that had UFOs flying away from them. Um, there was apparently pictures of his father on the deck showing off a crew manifesto of all the workers on the USS Nautilus, which was the United States' first nuclear submarine, which was a black-budget project and and was top secret as well at the time. Uh, And then also him in the ready room of the USS Eldridge, and apparently in that photo on tour, he said this, this very large gentleman sitting in the front row of this photo and you can see my dad back there that's Val Valiant Thor and people don't know who that is that's apparently a uh, humanoid ET that was visiting Earth to try and um, make a deal with the Pentagon to change our society whatever but, right, Val, um, and he, Valiant Thor supposedly took up residence and either depending on the story either in the Pentagon or the White House itself during the Eisenhower administration. Uh, but yeah. so you, you mentioned you mentioned Phil Schneider's father. That's Captain Oscar Schneider. Yeah. Um, Oscar who died, Schneider. Who died in 93, I think it was. Yeah, and um, died right at the end of 92. And okay. Phil picked up all of his father's documents from his office in his house and started finding all this you know, top secret stuff. Um, around the same time, he started publishing a little magazine called the Alien Digest, and it talked about secret space and UFOs and aliens and black budget projects, like all this kind of stuff. Um, and he and his friend, um, Ron, we're doing that. Ron actually was uh, the, the individual that was 
getting him to speak at conferences, too. Ron was a retired Air Force man and knew, apparently, about the Star Wars project. Um, anybody doesn't know what the Star Wars project was, it pretty much was going on around the Reagan era. Um, and it was militarizing space, putting up satellites that could shoot down missiles and possibly you could shoot a missile from a satellite, all that sort of stuff. Um, and Ron had said that he had some information about that. He was going to release that. And all of a sudden he turned up dead in a park in uh, Portland, Oregon. And right after that, Ron, after Ron's passing, Phil Schneider ended up being mad as hell and started doing more and more lectures after this. And um, he appeared on, I think it was Dateline or some TV show where they were talking about the mysterious death of his friend Ron. And that's when uh, everything took off for him. He was starting to do more and more shows. Um, Anthony Sanchez, uh, who I've spoken to a lot in the past about Phil Schneider. Anthony Sanchez published a book called The UFO Highway, which is pretty much about um, the Dulce, New Mexico base. And apparently a group of soldiers that are sent to investigate the Mesa and go infiltrate this base. And um, it's a story that's actually told secondhand by a retired colonel that was in charge of that sort of operation. And um, that colonel said that he had actually handed a stack of documents to Phil about a month before he passed away. Okay, so there's a pattern know. here. There's a pattern here, Darcy. Um, yeah. He, he, after his father died, we, uh, we, and we should point out that Captain Otto Oscar Schneider, was a, he was a U-boat captain. In other words, he was... I don't know if he, if we would say he was a, a Nazi, but he was certainly fighting for the other side. He was a German U-boat captain, and I believe he yeah. came to the U.S. under Operation Paperclip. So he was, um, I think, also involved in the development of U.S. the new the U.S. nuclear submarine program. So he was very yeah. coveted for his his knowledge, obviously. So this pattern after he dies, Phil Schneider finds this cache of, of documents and photographs. Uh, he also gets them from this other gentleman that you just mentioned. So is he taking this information and passing it off as his own during these lectures? So he was saying in the lectures that he got some of the documents from his father. He even said... Uh, you know, this is a photo of my father in the ready room of the USS Aldridge, and Val Valiant Thor is in here, and then there's all the names of all the top nuclear scientists and stuff, you know, below, and you can see them in the picture. Um, so, yeah, he admitted that a lot of the documentation he had was his father's. So I found... Phil's story still to be very interesting because there was credibility to a lot of the things that he brought and lectured about at the conference due to his father's involvement in military black 
budget projects. Um, and I don't know who may have killed him. I, I think that he was murdered. Some people say that he... Well, I, don't, I don't want to get too far ahead over our, our skis here yet. I want, I want to hmm. um, talk about his death in a moment. We're coming up on a break. Uh, but but sure. before we get there, we have about two minutes here. Let me ask you again, does, did he ever present credible documentation that he was involved in these underground bases, Dulce, New Mexico, or, or otherwise? The interesting thing is that we got documentation from his late wife um, proving that he had two different social insurance numbers. And this is apparently a game that's played by workers that work on black budget projects, but also have a civilian social insurance number. Social security number is what's, what it's called in the United States. Um, and she was able to prove, because he was getting medical benefits from retiring from projects working for companies like Morrison Knudsen. Now, Morrison Knudsen is a very high-level military contractor, kind of like Rand Corporation. They do uh, black-budget construction sort of work. And Morrison Knudsen was one of his employers. He definitely worked for them. I think that was one of the credible documents that we, we looked at in the documentary. What he took to the lectures that could prove his military work, I couldn't say because all that stuff was taken from his apartment when he passed away. All right, and we will uh, discuss uh, the mysterious death of Phil Schneider on the other side. Darcy Weir, independent filmmaker, and we are talking about uh, his earliest uh, documentary film that has been re-released. It's Underground, the director's cut. More of our conversation when The Conspiracy Show returns. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Darcy Weir is uh, with us. And uh, the website, Darcy, is at occultjourneys.com? That's right. Occultjourneys.com if you want to check out The Underground or any of my Sasquatch films, um, even my latest and greatest volcanic UFO mysteries or uh, maybe Beyond beyond the Spectrum being taken, an abduction film that I put together with Lee. Check them out. They're there. You can click on the poster. It'll take you through to a page to watch the films. All right. Um, so Phil Schneider's death, uh, when was that? 95, 96, 96, 96. Um, and Ron Rummel, his friend passed away in 93. So ah. he kind of had a few good years there that he was doing lectures and becoming known as a speaker at these UFO conferences or Bigfoot conferences, the stuff on the fringe that people here like to listen to, right? Right, um, right. So, so what were the circumstances when, surrounding his, his death? So the circumstances were quite odd. His catheter cord was wrapped around his throat, and when the police came to the scene, it was because 
the motel owner had reported a smell coming from his room. So it sounded like something's rotting in there. And they entered the room. Phil's body was found. His head was face down in his wheelchair. Um, they couldn't see that he was strangled, uh, that you know he died through that means at that time. And when the body went to a funeral home, the funeral director ended up calling Cynthia, his, his late wife, his ex-wife, and uh, she called the police. The police were also contacted by the funeral director. They opened up a case. They started investigating. Um, they couldn't find any proof that he was, you know, killed by somebody. Uh, but they, his wife told Lee and I and his daughter uh, that he had lots of reasons to live. He was doing okay financially. He was happy. He wanted to be in his daughter's life. Um, I was on a show recently, and one of my... Uh, partners in a film that I, I made recently, uh, Stephen Bassett said, oh, he killed himself. And I said, well, wait a second. We don't know that to be the truth. And when we looked at the autopsy report, um, it, it just screamed murder to me. Um, but it was a pretty closed case quickly. And I don't know how you could strangle yourself with your own exactly. record. Exactly. With a catheter um, cord, yeah, you you can you can hang yourself. Yeah, he was uh, not found hung you, by any means. Uh, right, but you can't. It's it's very difficult. It's it's like trying to choke yourself. You'll pass out before yeah. you actually strangle yourself. Well, I guess like that was the argument that Stephen was saying. Oh, he he must have like made himself pass out, and then he eventually died while he passed out. But. Um, I don't know. It seems that most when they look when you look at the crime scene photos, it looked like there was blood on the ground and on the bed, and there was a bit of a a flurry that happened. You know, a bit of a commotion. So a struggle, a struggle, seem, perhaps a struggle. Yeah. So it didn't seem like a open shut case of one killing themselves but um right so was the official okay. was the official cause uh, listed as su a suicide the official cause was listed as natural causes death ah, by natural natural brain natural yeah. causes sure like who who would have put that as the in the in the ultimately once they opened the case up again though um the coroner that took a second look at his body said death by asphyxiation, which is not natural causes still, but um, in the newspaper, the article published with his obituary said that it was by natural causes. So it's like, how does that happen? Um, right. So, and so what, what was missing from his room? All of his documents that he traveled with. And um, this is Cynthia, because she said she had some documents left at her place. They were still friends. Um, they had Mary, Marie together, and uh, they, you know, were very happy and amicable. 
as friends. So they still talked every day and every week and all that stuff. But um, she said, yeah, like tons of the stuff that he was touring with that was in his apartment at the time was taken. Now, was he, is it possible that he was murdered by somebody who followed him that was wanted to have his documents? Was it a government sort of job? I don't know. Um, there's speculation in all kinds of ways there, but all I know is that based on what his family told us, he, he didn't want to die, and certainly not like that. Um, so, yeah, I believe he was killed. And how is Phil Schneider connected with things like the Philadelphia Experiment? And uh, I mentioned that book by Alexandria Bruce, uh, talk, talking about the Philadelphia Experiment murder, referring to, to Phil Schneider. Yeah, I, I don't really know that much about the Philadelphia Experiment connection, but um, yeah, I probably, I wouldn't really want to like delve into that because I'm not a huge, uh, I, I just don't know enough about what okay. his connection was, yeah. I guess it would have had to have been through his father since, you know, we're talking about, what, yeah. 1943, uh, so Oscar, I guess. Uh, would have had the connection. Um, yeah, I mean, I, like I, his his he claimed that his father worked on the Philadelphia experiment, but in terms of the book you're referencing, I don't know. Um, right. Okay. His father had documents that. So his father was a Navy surgeon as well as an inventor, apparently, and there was documents that we show in the the film that reference autopsies and psycho, um, psychoanalysis cases of people that were taken off of the Philadelphia experiment, uh, the Eldridge. And um, that boat, you know, apparently vanished. And then when it reappeared, there were crew members that were Hysterical. Some of them were apparently lodged in the ship. There's, there's all kinds of lore the, about like that in the, story. In a fuselage, right? Half in and in half out of the metal fuselage. Yeah, that's right. And um, the documents that we show um, appear to identify that there was chips or some kind of really small kind of uh, nano electronics implanted into some of the soldiers that they pulled off of the ship and communication memos between Condon, you know, right around that time, there would have been the Condon uh, involvement with uh, the Condon committee. And um, there was Project Blue Books was prior to that, but Richard Dolan, um, he looked at those documents and he sent them to somebody that he considers, you know, a valuable resource inside of the military industrial complex. And that person stated that he wasn't sure if they were real. Um, I'm friends with Richard Dolan. I, I highly respect him. Uh, but 
I don't know. Some of those documents, if they are real, they're like incredible. So many documents that were redacted and covered up during the Blue Book and the Condon era of uh, UFO research in, in American history, you know, have never seen the light of day. And these documents seem pretty well articulated. They have um, interesting letterhead that seemed to be um, that of a military man, right? And, and they're coming from and going to um, Phil's father, Oscar Otto Schneider, while he was working in this business in the military. So we just have about a minute and a half here uh, before we head into the break. So sort of sizing up uh, the late Phil Schneider in terms of his credibility and separating the wheat from the, the chap. Uh, was he who he said he was? Someone who worked on in these underground bases and was perhaps involved in this underground firefight with gray aliens? It's hard to say. Um, I think there's truth in some of it. So I think that he did work in some degree for the American military, uh, especially when he had a social security number that he was getting health benefits from when he retired and was ill. Um, but I don't think he was fired on by aliens and that's how he got maimed. I think that was a bit of a fabrication because it's an interesting story. I think the documents that he carried could have been credible and that those came from his father. And I think he was mad as hell. I think he was interested in uh, blowing up the truth in a big way and, and making sure everybody listened to what he had to say. All right, uh, Darcy, we're going to take a time out, come back and uh, talk a little bit more about underground bases and then get into some, we'll take some questions from the live chat as well and also phone calls, 416-360-0740, toll free from out of town, 866-740-4740. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Before we get back to Darcy, just a reminder, if you'd like to become an official donor to Strange Planet. We can use your help. Increasingly on uh, YouTube, videos are being demonetized. In fact, uh, Ryan, my live stream producer, just told me a few moments ago that a recent show we did with Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, retired U.S. Army, on uh, the China threat, uh, the China military threat and so forth, was not only demonetized, it was just taken right off the uh, the YouTube channel. It was taken right off of YouTube. Um, so giving everything, given everything that's going on, it's probably just a matter of time before our YouTube channel uh, is taken down. And those videos, when they're monetized, they can help pay a few bills. So if you can help, go to patreon.com 
slash strange planet, patreon.com slash strange planet. And any monthly amount is tremendously appreciated and helpful. But there are, uh, I think, three donor tiers that we have. There's a five dollar, uh, which is called the uh, truth seeker. No, that's called the rogue researcher. So for five dollars, that's the rogue researcher tier. There is uh, the ten dollar tier f- per month. That's the truth seeker. And then there's the uh, the fifty dollar per month. That's the star chamber. And uh, you get um, things like, aside from my eternal gratitude, uh, you get delivered right to you uh, via email. My my strange planet uh, radio feature that ran for many years. Uh, you get an episode once a month. Some of you will get the um, the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone, my late, my my former podcast that I did with uh, Chris Jericho of uh, WWF fame for his uh, podcast network, the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone, which evident or incidentally is not available anywhere else at the moment. Uh, so you get that delivered to you once a month and uh, some other great stuff. So again, it's patreon.com slash strange planet patreon.com slash strange planet okay uh, back to underground bases ufo secrecy uh we've been talking about the mysterious death of phil schneider but i, I was recently online looking at a, a list of supposed underground bases in the united states uh, darcy and my word it's uh it looks like it numbers in in the hundreds i mean you just look at california alone uh mount shasta um, apparently one in Napa Valley, located at Oakville grade north of Napa. Tunnels also connect the wineries, apparently north of Napa, used for, white, uh, well, mind control, it says, slavery, a possible saucer base. Uh, there's one apparently near Palmdale, Presidio, San Bernardino, Santa Barbara, Santa Rosa, Sierra Nevada Mountains, China Lake, of course. There's a, supposedly a Northrop facility um, on Highway 14 towards Edwards Air Force Base in L.A. Uh, the list goes on and on. Colorado in Alamosa, uh, Boulder, Colorado, Colorado Springs, Fort Collins. Uh, there's one in Connecticut, a massive base in uh, Florida, Elgin Air Force Base, Georgia, one in Atlanta. Uh, there's a, a FEMA regional center there. Uh, Idaho, Lower Goose Lake in uh, Indiana and so forth. Uh, it is also rumored that that many of these bases are connected with these high speed maglev trains. What do you know about that? I know that through Richard Souder's investigations, he wrote four different books uh, on underground bases. So if people want to learn more about um, the history of underground bases in the United States and around the world, really. Um, you should look up Richard Souter, and uh, Hidden in Plain Sight is a really good book out of the four. Um, but he did his research at government repositories, you know, like the Eisenhower Library and such, where they have hundreds of thousands of military industrial complex documentation, um, patents and and records of certain filings. Um, He found patents for tunnel boring machines that were state-of-the-art, that were run by nuclear fission reactors that could melt and deflagrate 
the the sides of the walls and turn them into hard rock as they bore, um, kind of like molten, turn the rock into molten lava and and help build the structure as it goes. Um, but the maglev trains, um, he believed also existed, kind of similar to what Elon Musk is making with these uh, giant um, vacuum tube sort of train systems. Uh, it would be the same sort of thing, but that would be a public venue facing technology, you know, whereas this was military um, technology that was connecting underground bases around the world, if, if you believe uh it. Right. Darcy, this is a short segment, just uh, uh, six minutes, so we're going to head right back into a break, come back, and we'll finish up and talk more, a little bit more about underground bases, and then get into uh, the subject of your uh, January film regarding uh, UFOs and volcanoes. We'll also uh, try and slide in a few questions from our YouTube live chat, and uh, if people want to use the old telephone as well, 416-360-0740, out of town, toll-free from just about anywhere, one 866 PIN numbers, passcodes, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Uh, Darcy, I want to go right to the uh, YouTube live chat, and uh, let's see, we have Thinker. Uh, Thinker is asking about the incredible advanced materials that Snyder supposedly had access to. He also asks, or she also asks, I'm not sure who Thinker is, uh, what about the extensive tunnel network, well, well, we just alluded to that, around the world and in North America, connecting all the underground bases that are underneath every major city. Uh, wh so what about these advanced materials that Snyder supposedly had access to? So he had medals that he showed on tour. Um, he claimed some of them were rhyolite or um, this type of cloaking technology that they paint onto all of the stealth bombers that black sort of substance that makes it so that it's a real substance that makes it so that um, sonar and normal radio um, waves can't bounce off the craft so it can be picked up by radar. Um, he claimed to have that stuff on tour and, and showed it off. Um, and in terms of the underground base networks, um, Richard Souter claims that they were even planning, there were, there were uh, schematics and designs for bases to be built under the ocean in basically underwater mountain regions. And, you know, if you think about that, that's definitely more than a few miles below the surface. Um, and if they did complete that, now that, I think that we show that illustration and he discusses it 
I think that was in the 1960s that he talked about doing that, um, finding that that uh, those plans, and that was a British British military plan um, that he had found. If they completed some some projects like that, there's no reason that they couldn't have a base connecting in the ocean that would, you know. Uh, then go to the land of Europe and, and connect over to North America and beyond. So it's speculation, um, but one has to wonder, are these things being used? What I really liked about Phil Schneider was that he talked about the military industrial complexes, extremely vast budget like billions and billions of dollars. And we cover at the starting of the documentary, RT News did a investigation of Pentagon's uh, spending in 2017, I believe. Uh, maybe it was 2016. But they have this practice that's not against the law. I mean, if you or I, Richard, decided to say at the end of the year, you know, um, my... I can't account for spending the money on this in my uh, my my revenue I had. Um, so I'm just going to say I spent it on loaves of bread, you know. But you have no receipts to prove that. Well, the military can do that. The Pentagon has been doing that for years, a long time. It's in the law; uh, they're allowed to get away with this type of practice whereas we get thrown into jail for doing something like that. Right. I mean, over the last half century, who knows? Uh, untold trillions, I'm guessing, they've shoveled into these black projects. It should be called a yeah. black hole, really. And people have been discussing that and saying, well, what are they using all this money for? Is it to build underground bases or send you know, personnel and exotic aircraft into space to do really interesting stuff that the public shouldn't know about? Very possibly. Well, uh, uh, Dr. Paul LaViolette was on in the first hour. I'm not sure if you caught any of that, but he talked about exactly that. And, and the, these new U.S. Navy UFO patents that they just released, uh, which seems to confirm all of our suspicions, everything that we've been talking about, uh, you know, for the last well, for decades, and on this show, and 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 on coast to coast, and elsewhere, it is all coming to the surface—no pun intended. But um, we're going to have to have you back on because we don't have time to get into UFOs and volcanoes and some of your other fine work. Um, definitely have you back on soon. But what do you think they're doing down there uh, in these bases? Why build them underground? The the simplest and easiest explanation is to keep things secret, out of sight, out of sound, um, to have command and control, um, and to work on projects that shouldn't see the light of day. That's, that's pretty much the only reason that you would use an underground base for security, for uh, secrecy, and for command and control. Well, Phil Schneider's hyperbole and uh, his vivid imagination or even propensity uh, for bending the truth aside, 
have you come across evidence that suggests, in fact, there may be some sort of UFO or alien connection to some of these bases? Well, hey, I mean, Dulce, New Mexico, I'm, I still believe there's something there. Um, and it's, again, he could have worked there building a base. Part of that might have been true. We know that there's multiple UFO sightings that have happened all over that mesa over many, 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 many years. Every year, you know, there's been sightings practically. And um, all the things that have happened around there just seem to point to something going on under the Mesa, under Dulce, Mexico. So I think there is a base. We know that Los Alamos is nearby. So if we were talking about um, these train tunnel uh, connections between bases around North America, if Los, Los Alamos is nearby and that actually has underground facilities, there's no reason that Dulce, New Mexico, if there's a base called, uh, you know, DS3, that is also under the, uh, the mesa there. It could be connected to Los Alamos by these same uh, maglev train uh, tunnels. All right. Um, we also hear things, well, Montauk, for example, on Long Island, and um, mm-hmm. the idea that there is something, it's an old World War II radar station, and underneath the radar tower there is rumored to be a labyrinth of tunnels, and, and there were reports that back in the, uh, the 60s, 70s, perhaps, uh, runaways where, uh, you know, street kids were abducted and and involved in mind control experiments underneath um, Montauk and so forth. Do you get into any of that in your underground uh, film? No, don't really talk about Montauk in, in our film. We, you know, it's Rich Souter talks about the history of underground base building since World War II. Uh, we have Phil Schneider's testimony and some of the stuff he did on lecture tour. Uh, Richard Dolan gives uh, a history of cultures talking about beings that live underground. Um, you know, the, the ancient Tibetans talked about a network of tunnels and uh, beings that lived underground. Uh, so it's part of our history for supposedly another plane of existence underground. Maybe earthlings are, are up top, and the idea that there's crypto-terrestrials, meaning another terrestrial, another type of being that lives on Earth, but underground, um, has been tossed around for a long time from many different cultures. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the documentary covers the military-industrial complex's work into investigating possibilities of building bases, you know, and, and we know that there's places like Area 51 and Camp David where the presidents go to, and that's 
got massive underground structures underneath uh, the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. There's a labyrinth of tunnels and underground floors um, under the NSA facility in the United States. Their headquarters, there's apparently 20 floors deep that have tons and tons of server technology and such. Um, and, and, you know, who knows what else they've got there. Um, and uh, there's Mount Weather, which is FEMA's uh, major headquarters. I believe that's in uh, Virginia. And that is built into a mountain, Cheyenne Mountain, where NORAD's headquarters used to be. Right. Was yeah, Darcy, we're just about out of time we're just about out of time here. Apologies for the interruption, but uh, uh, yeah, the list is, is practically endless. So the underground, the director's cut, uh, beyond the spectrum being taken, Sasquatch among wild men, volcanic UFO mysteries, crop circle realities out in March. Uh, some of these available at Amazon Prime and, of course, the website occultjourneys.com. Thank you so much, Darcy. I, I promise we'll have you back on again soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Richard. All right, my pleasure, Darcy Weir. Back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing revealed that won't be, or nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite, I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.